Big day, man. Big day. <laughs> We're in the middle. <laughs> We're, this is how like, many hours of sleep did you get? Oh, none at all. I had my uh, my son, who's like a total political wonk, was in my earbud, earbud, you know, as I was falling asleep, giving me up to how about you? Play by play. I had to go for one hour run and I listened to James Altucher's episode on, I think, 13 things that real leaders do when their candidate potentially loses. (laughs) So (laughs) it could go either way. But um, uh, (laughs) so that took about an hour. It's like one potential tragedy to another. (laughs) This is like we did a total shot of digital health this week. (laughs) <laughs> oh, uh, speaking of, I'm going to pour myself a little vermouth Spanish oh, yeah, style, that well. so uh, I'm going to get that done. <laughs> this is definitely a day. This is definitely <laughs> <laughs> Getting into it, getting into it. So uh, funny enough, I saw Jessica DeMassa tweet something. I think it was yesterday was right. the International Stress Awareness Day. <laughs> Right, Out of all right, the days, right. that's the day that was chosen, right? So first of all, cheers. Uh, cheers. cheers to getting through another, the trauma. And then I appropriately decided to wear, I just spoke at some um, European space agency event. It's okay. like a combination of space and intelligent health. Right. And that was fun. And I don't know if you can read this t-shirt, but it says NASA. Let's get the hell out of here. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I feel today. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I think well, we, um, get, like, we get a superstar this week, though. He's going to kind of energize uh, us all. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I've been looking forward to the very difficult uh, to schedule. Actually, at the end of the day, it was pretty easy. We planned it way ahead, unlike everything right. else that we don't plan ahead. Um, right, right. So I'm going to invite in um, who a person who can actually explain us quite a lot. Uh, I know you said you have a financial background, um, but this yeah, no, gentleman is actually an accountant and a lawyer by training that's my understanding and i'm gonna let him in and so we'll let him hey lee wait wait, hello wait for it it. yeah we there we're here there oh we're not oh then now it's much better (laughs) good hi how are you nice nice to meet you lee uh nice to meet you too james (laughs) So, Lee, I know when we exchanged, we still don't know the answer. And, um, you know, I don't know if you've seen any of the previous episodes at all, but we have like we had and I know you're going to raise the thing, but it's basically was a COVID free room for us. So every week, Jim and I get our just conversations, (laughs) go a little crazy with our guests, just have fun. And uh, you can, we have this like C19 little sign that you're not supposed to mention that word. And we, I actually, James, I, Jim, I didn't say this, but maybe this should be election free zone too. And just focus on fun stuff. I vote for election free. I I don't know, Lee, if you're up for that, no election. COVID free, election free. (laughs) Right. What else do we talk about? Right. But let's maybe start with you. So I just very briefly introduced you like that you actually have accounting and law degree and like tell. I'm the most boring person you'd ever meet. I'm (laughs) an accountant and a lawyer. How boring can that be? Yeah. It's right. My, my dad, who like a lot of us is my hero. He, um, 
was an accountant and then uh, became like a stock, became a stockbroker, but he went back to law school with six kids and got his uh, law degree. And I watch him and my mother later on in life, you know, uh, so anyways, <laughs> a law degree. I don't think it's boring. Well, he's all. a pretty amazing guy, but he probably needed the law degree to win arguments at home with six kids. <laughs> right, right, right. 100%. So I often say, though, uh, Eugene, that I'm a recovering lawyer. I haven't practiced right. in a long, long time. Right. So I used the term recovering when I'm when I was in a startup and I came to a big buyer. I said, I'm a recovering entrepreneur. Um, and then now that I'm out of big company and back into the startup, I say I'm a recovering executive. So, you know, we're always recovering from something. Right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I know that lots of people ask you lots of questions uh, around Livongo. Uh, we I think Jim and I kind of we we are meticulously unproduced, but we're going to go a little bit different route. Out today. So first of all, um, I know some of your partners in crime, uh, in very positive crime, that is, <laughs> generated uh, a SPOC or, or created a SPOC. And for, I think, ourselves and uh, our viewers, maybe you can explain to us what is a SPOC and what's yeah, the... Yeah, so actually, and, and uh, you know, some people say potato, some people say potato, <laughs> some people say SPAC, and some people, people say SPOC, I guess. Um, I think of Spock as Captain Spock from Star Trek. Um, but um, an SPAC is a special purpose acquisition corporation. Um, it's money that's raised by founders in a public market to essentially have a pool of capital with, with a limited time frame. It's two years to find a company to acquire using the capital that was raised and also typically some additional capital in debt. Um, and then that's a way for a company to essentially merge into this acquisition vehicle and become a public company. So you may have seen recently um, Social Capital's founder did this with a, yep. uh, a Medicare Advantage plan called Clover Health. Um, it's being used by other companies to, um, to essentially find a path to get public and to do that. Uh, what ends up happening is that the sponsors, and you alluded to one that my longtime business partner, Glenn Tolman is on the board of, um, a sponsor um, in his case is a general catalyst. So they're a venture growth equity fund. Um, they're raising money using this SPAC Glenn is going on the board. Dr. Jennifer Schneider from Livongo is also going on the board. And what they'll do is over the course of the next two years, find interesting companies within the thesis of that acquisition company uh, to find. And then oftentimes, there you go, Heyman's book. And one new one. I think the thesis is in there, right? That's right, with Steve, with Steve, Dr. Steve Glasgow. Um, and uh, what they'll do is the sponsors will oftentimes leave the running of the public company to the management team of the company that's acquired. Right. And they just become shareholders of that merged entity. So right. hopefully that's helpful. Yeah, super helpful. I, I mean, are you like, I look at this, I think one of the challenges, you know, not every like and building healthcare companies like Eugene and I are, are doing and like what you've done many times is, um, uh, patient, uh, patient capital, right? Like I always, that, that was always, I remember talking to, you know, to Rob, your partner about, you know, you know, strategy with Livongo and going public. And it was really, 
you know, we didn't think we would see a company go public that quickly. And, you know, and, and, but it was this, it's this idea that like, I don't think you can, can you build a digital health company in, you know, seven or 10 years, this idea of like patient capital. Do you think these Spocs, like, how are you feeling about them? You know, regardless of the one you might, you know, your, your partner's in, but how do you feel about them in terms of building out the digital health ecosystem? Positive? Well, I think that, look, I I think that um, what occurs is that there are companies that are the appropriate um, size as a merger partner for a SPAC. And those are typically companies that already have meaningful revenue and cash flow because to the extent that the SPAC takes on debt, it's going to need cash to service the debt, uh, the debt payments and, and the interest payments on the debt that it raises. So many early stage digital health companies are still in growth mode. They don't have enough revenue or cash flow to be able to be a good candidate for that. Right. Um, so you've seen some companies that 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 realm. Now, where the company has some buzz around it, where it's able to raise sufficient capital to provide for debt service in the form of equity, um, there might be an opportunity to take a good company, put it into a SPAC, then down the road, that new public company could roll up other companies. But uh, you know, as, as you see with regard to some of the companies that went public, whether it was Livongo or Health Catalyst or Freesia, um, all of us kind of went public in the summer of 2019. Um, we did so on the base of relatively strong revenue um, right. and, and a business model that gave investors line of sight to when we'd become profitable and start to generate cash flow. Right. We were not profitable in generating cash flow at the time that we went public, but investors had the foresight to believe in, in the future of the business. Right. You know, um, first of all, I need to get used to saying SPAC because I just got ingrained in my head <laughs> SPAC. And, you know, He's been but, saying um, SPAC. He's the only one that says SPAC. Yeah, yeah. tomato, tomato. <laughs> but um, Beam me up, Eugene. Beam me up. <laughs> hey, uh, you know, with technology, I think we can do almost anything these days. Um, yeah, SPAC is better. It sounds better. A spatula, like a SPAC. I don't know. What it is. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, speeding things up. You know, I I don't know. We, we can go crazy right. with this. Yeah, but um we, we we actually had a discussion, Jim and I, and I think even with uh, Mr. Garber uh, at some point. But you know, uh, there's many venture capital firms out there, right? And they range pretty widely on thesis and how they approach. Uh, but as entrepreneurs here on with you, we find um, the best partners, right? Because at the end of the day, it is a partnership to go and build a company or build a market or you know build a product and roll it in. You want partners in your company that are willing to build with you. And so like our kind of thesis is the best VCs are builders. So maybe like I would just, you know, I, I would love to have your thoughts on seven wire thesis on our hypothesis of building together versus, Hey, it's capital. Great. We know what the hell we're doing. You know, we'll have sure. more meetings. Well, so since, since you told me to be prepared to go a little bit crazy and, and you know, not be scripted, <laughs> um, and Eugene, you've lived all, all over the world. Jim, I'm not sure um, about oh, whether you've had the same experience. Um, <laughs> but are you familiar um, uh, with a, um, an organization called Hash House Harriers? No, no. 
No. Hash house. So if I'm remembering, I'm pretty sure I have the name right. Sounds like an Amsterdam um, kind of place. So <laughs> I was as, in Amsterdam in my head. <laughs> as individuals were assigned to the British Foreign Service, and they'd be stationed in the vast parts of what was then the British Empire, whether they were in right. Hong Kong or in India or somewhere in the South Pacific, um, Australia and the like. Um, in order to kind of get to know the community, um, there would be this group of folks that would go out for a run. And individuals who already were stationed there would map a course with chalk. And your job as the group that was running was to figure out what were the true run markers and what were the false markers. So sometimes the markings might lead you to a department store, um, sometimes the markers might lead you to a brothel. Um, right. You were learning the city, okay, and where to go, where not to go. And then if you followed the correct markings, uh, you'd end up at a pub. Okay. And so this group calls themselves a drinking club with a running problem. <laughs> right, okay? right, right, right. And so when you think about what we do at Seven Wire, um, we are... Um, entrepreneurs with an investing problem. In other words, <laughs> we we didn't set out when Glennon and Tillman, my co-founder and I, um, started investing together 25 years or so ago. Um, we did it with the idea that we would invest in and help build companies. And we'd work with entrepreneurs. In fact, one of the criteria for making an investment is uh, to find founders who will tolerate us. Because like we aren't the kind who just write a check and say, we'll see you at a quarterly board meeting. Like we're really interested in your business and we want to be very much involved and oftentimes get involved to the point where we're helping you recruit people to the team. We may take roles on the team for a period of time in business development. We're on sales calls. We won't invest in something if we don't believe that we can sell it ourselves. Like that right. literally we'd be the ones to go out and sell. And as you mentioned, when you're building a company, um, probably the key element, at least that we focus on, is the team. Because you recognize that the world changes, certainly, hopefully, not as, as rapidly as it had in the past six to nine months due to, hold the sign up, Jim, yeah, hold yeah, the sign go. up, <laughs> due to, that, 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 I can't say it, but you've got the sign. Um, and so, but, but things change and you have to pivot. And so- yeah we get to know the founding team. We get to know the people who are there. Like there's going to be needs to pivot. There's going to be change that comes at you from all sides and you're going to have to evolve your business over time and really find the right place to go. And so we spend a lot of time with founders and act as founders. And because we've built dozens of companies now over the course of our career, um, that we're at a stage where we see companies that are interesting to us that we want to get involved in helping to grow. And so that's a little bit of a, of a different approach. We aren't doing this. We have a fund. Our first connected consumer fund was $100 million. Uh, We've raised more than half of our next connected consumer fund. It'll likely be capped at, again, 100, 150 million tops. We're not looking to raise hundreds of million dollars of capital because that just puts pressure on you to, to get it deployed quickly, to mm -hmm. kind of make sure that you're delivering good internal rates of return and 
at the end of the day, all you're doing is you're spraying and praying, right? You're right, just right. putting cash out. We put limited amount of capital into limited amount of companies that we can focus on individually. Again, so that's a little bit different in terms of our approach. It, it's I interesting to right, because them. I think, sorry, Jim, go ahead, man. No, no, I have to go segue because I, I need to talk about um, your running and meditation. So, so, so this is, I, I was listening or Eugene told me to listen to one of your podcasts. Um, one of the things you've done are, are, so during this time, during, I won't put up the sign during so this we time, do prepare a little bit. I mean, I know it's <laughs> meticulously unproduced. No, but we but... did a whole, we did a whole phenomenal, does he know, um, who did we have on that talked about going to Peru? Um, Kristen, Kristen Milburn. Kristen uh, talking about going Peru to Peru and meditation. Ayahuasca. Yeah. <laughs> Ayahuasca. <Okay>. Yeah. <laughs> so, a, so we yeah. got really heavy. But okay, in running startups and running public companies, so I, I saw you. So you're, you're big into health. Uh, it, it, I think into meditation. You were mentioning, and we had someone come in and talk to about that. Do you have you found during this time period? Are you able to maintain all that practices? Or are you, you stressed by what's going on? Or oh you, yeah, so look, you know, part of my part of my daily routine has always been, um, I wake up. I look to see what texts or emails I have from Glenn, because uh, typically, you know, he's working into the wee hours in the morning. And so does the guy ever uh, sleep? Uh, no, he does not sleep. Yeah. He doesn't need to sleep and he doesn't sleep. Uh, although right. I have great pictures of him, um, you know, with his head on his keyboard, you know, sleeping <laughs> on, on planes and, and offices and other places we've been. But, but you know, my, my typical day starts with, kind of getting on, seeing what's come in overnight, um, doing a bit of work. Uh, then after that's cleared and kind of clearing my head in terms of the things I have to get done for the, for the morning that are pressing, um, kind of a short meditation, uh, workout, and then come back, stretch, shower, and, and dig in. And most mornings, you know, that occurs pretty early. Um, and then, you know, I'm able to kind of get into my day. Uh, but I think that um, maintaining kind of a routine, especially, you know, if you're working from home, you know, you've got kind of all other kinds of distractions going on that having that type of routine uh, is important, at least for me, in terms of being able to uh, right. sustain the level of focus that I want to have on what it is we're doing. Yeah. My, my, my routine uh, every <laughs> Wednesday is to have a, a Drink little routine. alcohol. So cheer, cheers cheers to the meditation i went uh barely got any sleep woke up this morning to some numbers went to take the blue wave picture of the ocean here in barcelona that's the only blue wave that i saw and ran for about an hour and then this is my routine so and i go. actually think like we we might not know this lee but you kind of owe us a little bit of a favor here because we had a bit of an intervention with rob on one of the first episodes you know, when at the beginning of the whole thing, and he had a long beard. This whole podcast started up as an intervention with me, with Eugene, you know, because he was feeling a little bit the pressure of, every, of not being able to get on planes and meet all his buddies at conferences and do all that stuff. And then we had the same thing with Rob. We saw Rob. I was texting Rob. I was texting you. First of all, why are you like only pushing it on me? You were missing that too, Jim. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, no. You, he, he saved me. He saved me a couple of weeks ago. I started dipping. <laughs> I started dipping. <laughs> so it's, look, it's, it's hard. I mean, this is, this is a, at least for me, it's a relationship business, a people business. And yeah, you know, we, 
we often talk about the fact that every day we wake up and we, we feel the urgency of needing to help change healthcare and working with people who are like-minded. And so much of the time, I mean, you know, have global services status on United, I'm a 3 million miler on American, I, you know, I fly based on the schedule of, of what's available. And this is the longest time in my entire professional career that I've been on the ground uh, right. this long and, and frankly, not able to see um, people other than through this type of medium. So right. How's family it's good feeling to about stay that? connected. And, and we've been doing a good job, I think, of trying to stay connected in virtual conferences and the like, but it's just not the same as, as the serendipity that occurs when you bump into yeah. people in the hallway at a conference or uh, you happen to see each other in an airport. Like good things happen when you kind of have those um, right. um, unplanned collisions. So I find myself doing even, I would say almost more. Uh, so Lee, for your knowledge, I know Jim knows this, but I do these like serendipity calls. So any LinkedIn requests, I have like a templated response of what I can learn or what, how I can help. I found myself through this process actually doing many more of those serendipity calls. Uh, because to your point, I mean, a lot of these planes and, and serendipity events are just not there. Um, and I think right. it's so important to kind of keep out there. It's... Um, so we talked about meditation and running and, you know, the C word and maybe just, you know, um, as you guys, you talked about the thesis and I agree. I mean, it is all about, uh, people, but also markets, right. And changing markets. I think, you know, what happened in the last, let's call it seven, eight, nine months, um, has certainly spearheaded quite a lot of what we as a community have been pushing and doing as a partner at seven wire what are some of the entrepreneur uh, opportunities right like what where are you guys seeing some of the opportunities in the market um just maybe dive a little bit deeper yeah so so we have a relatively narrow focus and i think part of it comes from the fact that robert and glenn and i um, have been involved in healthcare information technology for a long time and um, worked on a number of companies in the space and our belief is that um, the trajectory of healthcare is not sustainable from a cost standpoint. Um, we have to get away from a fee-for-service model and really move to fee-for-value because too often, if Jim and I, let's say, each have the same condition and we see the same doctor, he recovers more quickly He's a lousy customer as far as that doctor's concerned, right? If I need more services, more office visits, more tests, like I'm a revenue center. But when you get into fee for value, now if there's one payment that's the same for all three of us um, and you're capitated with some risk around the cost of care, you're going to make sure that someone stays healthy after they leave your office and you're going to look at ways... Um, to sustain someone's pathway towards health. I don't think any of us want to be patients, but we all want to be healthy. And so what can we do to support that? So our swim lanes at, at Seven Wire have been focused on the consumer side of that equation. After building companies in practice management, electronic health records and scheduling and billing, like we're, we don't need more of those systems to do what needs to be done. But 
to create a system that is connected and informing consumers about their health. Um, that's something that we need if we're ever going to achieve the type of fee-for-value system that, that we deserve. And, and so the swim lanes that we have are around chronic care. Livongo is a great example of that. Um, we have another company in the portfolio that uh, is the company formerly known as Clarify Health, uh, rebranding as Zerigo, that is focused on helping individuals with skin conditions uh, to use uh, UV light therapy at home. Um, much more convenient, far easier than going and sitting at a doctor's office multiple times a week, far less costly to the system to do it at home, and also extremely extremely better for the patient if they can avoid taking some of the biologics that are prescribed at a massive cost to the system um, because in oftentimes UV light therapy isn't available. So we focus on kind of helping people with chronic conditions. We'll look at frail elder um, populations that have significant needs that change sometimes rapidly over time and so what can we be doing to help individuals that are kind of at a certain stage of life? You can see 70 to 95 year old is a massively growing market globally um, as we're living longer, um, but that doesn't mean that we're staying healthy as long because we're keeping people alive with conditions that we need to find ways to treat. And, treat and much more digitally savvy, believe it or not, right? Like, That's right. Yeah. That's right. But you know, I, I don't know, you know, uh, my parents have both passed, but I wouldn't want to put either of them into an assisted living or a nursing home. Not now, if I could avoid it, I'd do as much as I could for them at home. And so we have a, a company called Home Thrive that's focused there. Um, we think about episodic conditions, certain acute conditions. Let's say it might be cardiac rehab after a stroke or prehab and rehab uh, around musculoskeletal events. And so that's another swim lane for us. But we're thinking a lot about personalized medicine. And it's not for us about the pill. It's about how do we, now genomic tests are so inexpensive. You can sequence your whole uh, exome for less than $1,000. What do you do with that information? Like yeah. you've got- How do you make it actionable? How do you make it actionable? Like you have now you've determined that you've got a 10% chance of getting something really terrible. Right. Well, do you let that run your life or how do you address I, that? And I, I found uh, my, Marina makes fun of me because in my uh, analysis, I have a rest, I have higher percentage chance for restless leg syndrome. So apparently I may kick her one day. I don't know, but, <laughs> rest, but what do I do about that? Tie my legs at night? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but you, you might, you might have to sleep in another room. Marina might you know, talk to you about that. Um, so those are some of the swim lanes that we look at um, yeah. from a business perspective. And uh, we, we also, you know, look, um, I'd say another kind of screen for us is we're, we're very focused on now um, meeting some of the commitments that we want to make, not only for our own team in terms of adding diversity um, to our partnership rank. I think you saw Eugene recently, uh, Alyssa Jaffe, who you yeah. met, uh, was named a partner of the fund. Um, but we also are looking at um, female and, and diverse founders. Um, and we have one great company, Consejo Sano, 
uh, founded by Abner Mason, who also is the founder of Health Tech for Medicaid. Um, and he's terrific, but we're trying to find actively ways to support. And I, um, I just saw something flash that did just a great deal just recently, right? I just yeah. saw something, yeah. And, and do you find uh, it, the, the thing the thing that I've noticed, like even listening to you for a few minutes and, and, and talking to Rob lots of times and, and listening more, listening to Glenn, is this like clarity of thinking? Like if you talk to you guys, the way you communicate, it, I, like two questions kind of come, come into my mind at the same time is um, when you're working with young founders, like, so you guys are great communicators. Like when you're, when you're kind of bringing, cause you kind of go in series A, you know, series A level in some deals. Right. So pretty, could be pretty early into a founding team. Do they have to um, be able to communicate with the clarity that, that you guys have when you think about conceiving of these markets and, and, and talk to it? Or do you help them kind of along that path? Or how do you think about that? Do you find sometimes that you guys have been through it so many times at this stage that you know, you're, you know, you're playing over here and these guys just need to kind of go through their natural learning process? Well, some founders are, are much better, irrespective of age. Some founders are much better at communicating the, the vision that they have than others. I, I think part of what we do in working with founders is to probe with them their purpose, their, their sense of, of mission around what it is they're doing, and to help them better share that with not only other investors, but with clients or prospective clients um, and whoever it is that they're serving. So we oftentimes will, will work with founding teams all around getting that message refined, um, encapsulating it in a presentation, literally videotaping them, um, doing the pre presentation, having them watch it, and then yeah. highlighting things for them that they're doing. We find that to be a really effective way okay. in terms of helping someone understand you know, I can say, well, Jim, you know, when you spoke about X, Y, and Z, you know, no, I, you know, I didn't do that. Or you know, I didn't, you know, like, I, I couldn't have possibly like, you know, stammered over that. This is what I said. Well, let's, let's watch, let's watch the outtakes. Evidence, evidence. The, the evidence. And so it really is helpful to be able to, to yeah. do that with someone. We do that with salespeople for the companies we work with. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Come on in on a Saturday. We're going to meet with six of you. You're going to give your pitch. We're videotaping you. You need to do it in ten that's minutes. Important. You know, yeah, that, kind of the Q actually, and A, and then now, now let's let's talk about you know what could you have done differently to to maybe get the message across better. Right, because that's what I felt like with Lavongo was like the clarity of message. Like I listened to the message and how you took this kind of fairly complex system at the end of the day. You know, meaning meaning if you're trying to help someone you know, with diabetes or metabolic condition, and you're doing lots of things to help them and support them. And you're dealing with maybe how that stuff is getting paid for it. It's very quickly, very complex. But when you would hear the, um, the message, the message would be quite simple. And I, I know we've talked a lot about that, Eugene, how that's kind of, so that's kind of, it feels like it's maybe kind of core. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, very much so. And, um, you know, one other thing, um, uh, just to uh, just to mention, um, when you think about kind of having vision and, and clarity of purpose, um, oftentimes entrepreneurs will come forward and they'll say, "Well, we think this is a great idea um, because 
health plans. I'll just use that as an example, or a pharma company. They they really need this, and right. so they have a whole page in their deck saying, "Here's all the exit candidates." Like you have to question someone's commitment to what it is they're doing if they're right. already thinking about exit. And so we, you know, will often maybe for dramatic purposes, look at the deck, take that page out, tear it up into little pieces and say, you know, <laughs> are you committed to building a company um, right. or are you building something to sell? You know, because yeah. that's a product idea. That's not a company. I, you know, I thought you were going to go a different route. Uh, I just heard some uh, good friend of mine, Greg Larkin. Uh, he came out of Bloomberg and wrote a book about kind of corporate disruption. But uh, I heard him on a podcast and he said, never sell ideas, sell outcomes, right? Um, yeah, so I, yeah. I kind of thought, Lee, you were going to go there. But this is also a, a great point on uh, on that. Right. Yeah, on no, that. you're you're absolutely right. I mean, what's what's the impact you're trying to have in the world, right? It's not... You know, right. it's not just this product or just because you can build something doesn't mean that the world needs it. Like, what is it that you're going to prove with it and how is it going to make lives different? That's where I think also you see founders. Uh, we have a great young founder. He may be our, our youngest founder um, in the portfolio, uh, Stephen Smith from No CD. No CD, yeah. Um, he, I mean, he went through hell and back getting his OCD diagnosed and he vowed never to let anybody else go through the same hell that he did. And, right. and so his passion around what it is he's doing is absolutely contagious. So not only does he have a team who's really supportive of the mission, but when he's out talking to health plans, when he's been working with providers, when they get patients engaged with, with this condition and, and they start working with members, um, it's, it's really something that he takes so seriously because it's something that he's had to address in his own life. Well, you know, I've, I've always said this, and this is like as, as, as when I entered health and care industry, right? Um, for me, it's most rewarding industry because we all have experiences and you hear the founders and, and Marina and I laugh about this. Sometimes we literally hear this pitch, you know, telling a story that my cousin's brother's mother experienced this, right? Or, and it's, you, you can almost tell that those are the founders that are just looking for an exit. They're not building this to scale. They're not building this for outcomes. Um, they, you know, it's a story that you hear. So I think, um, I think a lot of the founders in the, in the healthcare space actually lived and breathed this every day. Right. And there's a right. reason, and there's always a story behind it. Yeah. Well, you've, you've heard Glenn talk about the experience with his son, Sam, uh, when he was diagnosed at eight years old with diabetes. And, you know, when Sam looked up at him from the hospital bed and said, you know, dad, you know, can, can you fix this? Like, you know, that, that's something that stayed with him. He said, yes, we can. And he's devoted, um, you know, half a lifetime towards making sure that that happens and finding ways for people with diabetes, but other chronic conditions to live better. And that was the foundation for Livongo. It's a bit of the, it's kind of the superpower. If you think about it, even like your um, like health coach or, you, you know, our company, we deal with chronic conditions too, but it is, it's kind of the superpower if you can tap into it where, yeah, where, great point. You know, yeah, digital health or, you know, even health tech or whatever angle you're coming at it, you can see it just gives you energy when maybe energy's not there, gives you enthusiasm. It helps make, it helps you make the right decision, right? You know, you can see sometimes people put pressure on you to, to drive towards a different decision. 
um, it's kind of really easy sometimes to see what the right decision is when someone's on the other end of the, you know, the service, right? Absolutely. Speaking of decisions, decisions, we're kind of approaching uh, the, you know, I'm I'm usually the, the timekeeper guy. But I, you know, talk about decisions. And this is, you know, honestly, the first time I met Glenn, and then the first time I met Yuli, um, I've been very much impressed on leadership styles. Like I remember having a dinner with Glenn, and you know, some nuggets I still have it in my kind of digital notebook, like as as as, as points. So I think to the entrepreneurs, and I think you guys have built multiple companies, and of course, you know, everybody knows about Livongo lately. But maybe, I mean. Tons of books written on leadership, but just kind of from your own perspective, what are some nuggets, right? What are some nuggets for entrepreneurs that are building companies on leadership? Uh, just curious. Well, we were talking about running earlier and building a company is um, more like sprinting a marathon because <laughs> it's a long journey, but you have to go fast, right? <laughs> and, you know, you you oftentimes see a number of, of founders who are just so focused on getting it right that they let, let uh, perfect be the enemy of the good. Mm-hmm. Um, and what you need to do is focus on, you know, when can you kind of get to market and when can you release? It's amazing, amazing how oftentimes clients, if they see your passion, if they understand your purpose, are willing to work with you, even if things aren't necessarily perfect, but they know that you've got a vision that you're going to keep improving on. Um, when right. we first started selling electronic health records, EHR was a four-letter word. It's like <laughs> doctors didn't want to deal with it. No one wanted to talk talk about it. It was it was terrible. Like you'd walk into an office and you'd be afraid that like, hey, you're going to change the way I practice? Like, give me a break. And so, you know, oftentimes you, you realize it's not about, Jim, you had mentioned this you know, not about a product. It's about change management. It's about understanding what does this mean to the person I'm interacting with and how is it going to, to be from their perspective? And when you put yourself in their shoes, you now have to understand, well, what's their motivation? And so ultimately, when you started thinking about, you know, a change like an electronic health record, you had to demonstrate that you were reducing medical errors that you were gonna allow them to provide better care for patients, that you were gonna take knowledge that sometimes takes years. I think you both know new medical discoveries take 17 years to get into practice. How can you infuse knowledge and information into a process of taking care of patients? And that's what you take the Hippocratic Oath to do. You wanna do that. So tap into someone's purpose and, Mm. and align it with the vision that you have for the company you're building. And that's how you'll get customers that are not just a buyer, but they're a partner, they're a client. You want everyone to rave about what it is that that you're providing them as an entrepreneur. And so to kind of generate that type of, of fervor around what it is you're doing, you have to create believers out of people and get them to buy into your vision. And, and that takes not only the communication that we were speaking about earlier, but it takes um, some, I think, real soul searching for an entrepreneur to be able to go out to the market and say, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. This is who we're going to help. This is the outcome we're trying to achieve, Eugene, to the point you made earlier. 
And will you join with me on this mission? And that's right. not just for the people who hire, that's for the people who you're partnering with that are going to be your paying clients. What, what do they say? Uh, leaders don't exist without followers, right? So. Hey, <laughs> right. right. drop the mic. Um, yeah, <laughs> jump. Boom. <laughs> boom. Kaboom. So on that note, um, I mean, we can spend hours, Lee, um, honestly, but I know, you know, you'll we'll do it again. Is, let's, right. let's find we'll, another time. We'll, we'll do it again. We'll, we'll absolutely do it again. Um, on that note, uh, thank you for tuning in. Hit that subscribe button because the only exit that we're looking for, Jim and I, is like the Joe Rogan style, you know, <laughs> podcast exit. So <laughs> we're at like about 900,000 subscribers short at the moment so <laughs> hey, Jim, we got 142 subscribers to this channel now we, we're we're yeah it's we're beating out yeah. matthew holt on his uh his other channels <laughs> oh look, he likes that he likes that no I know. look you know when when we rang a bell when we got to the first hundred users at lavango um, right. and so you you know you've rung one bell but you'll keep ringing bells and thanks so much for inviting me to join exactly you. yeah great to